trust and obey. Amen, church? Let's open up God's word to John chapter 16. We've been working our way through the gospel of John, and we're going to continue that this morning. And we'll be focused on verses 16 to 33. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one underneath the seat in front of you and and open up to to John chapter 16. I forgot to grab the pew number on that. Uh, Anyone happen to know what page number that's on? 902. 902. You got to be quick and point to get it that fast. (laughs) Amen. So page 902 in the pew Bible. It reminds me of like sword drills. (laughs) Who can get to John on that page number quickly? Nice job. All right, here we go. John chapter 16, this is our Lord Jesus addressing his disciples, the 11 at this point, in the upper room right before he is betrayed and then sentenced and crucified. The word of God reads, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? 
Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own house, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled and delighted to gather together this morning to set everything else aside, all the worries, all the concerns, all the anxieties that we have, and come and say, Lord, you are worthy of our undivided attention. You are worthy of our undivided praise. You are worthy of all of our voices being raised up together to sing true things about you, to sing and to praise you, Lord, and to celebrate all that you have done because you're a gracious God. Thank you, Father, that we can be here. And thank you, Father, that we could sit under your word. Thank you for sending your son into the world to save sinners like us. And thank you for having his words, which are spirit and life, written and recorded by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the apostles, so that we can know with certainty the things that Jesus promised and the things that he provided, so that our hearts could be encouraged, so that our faith could be strengthened. Lord, would you strengthen us this morning and do a great work in us by the power of your Spirit and through the preaching and reading of your word. We ask in your mighty name, amen. Jesus says something very important at the end of our section. He says, I have overcome the world. And that word for overcome is, uh, you, could, you could also translate it as conquer, or you, I, have, I am victorious over the world. You could think of it, it's a, it's a term that speaks of triumph. It's a term that speaks of, of winning. And when Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world, what a lot of people don't realize is that they have been born into a world that has two opposing sides, and there's a war going on, and there will be, and there is, clear winners and clear losers. I remember driving around with my, my parents and seeing a, a, this on a license plate. I think one of those little license plate holders. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Y'all seen that one before? He who dies with the most toys wins. What a terrible message. <laughs> you guys are all losers then, right? If he who dies with the most toys is the winner, then all the rest of us are losers because I don't think any of us in this room are the ones with the most toys. There are others with far more toys than us. But still, the desire there to win is, is obvious. So how do, you, how do you win? How do you overcome? What are we supposed to do in this life? And how did Jesus overcome? It's actually simple. It's not what you would expect. It's not 
he who dies with the most toys wins. It's not he who dies with the most money or the most fame or the most knowledge or the most followers or the most puppies or the most kittens or the most seashells or the lowest golf score or the most hole-in-ones. Victory in this life is not found in any of those things, nor is it found in the one who thought that they had the the greatest discoveries, nor is it found in anyone who think they did the, the most good things, nor is it the one who dies with the most kids, nor is it the one who fed the most most mouths, having kids and feeding people who are hungry, excellent things. But that doesn't make you a winner. None of those things at the end of the day ultimately brings victory for us. The way to overcome, the way to be victorious in this life is much more simple. And if you don't have a lot of money, and you can't afford a lot of toys, this is good news for you because the way to be victorious is absolutely free. Absolutely free. There's an excellent chapter in the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And this chapter catalogs a bunch of the saints that were considered victorious in their lives. Abel, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, the list goes on. And we see the surprising and simple, sure, certain way to a victorious life. And it's captured in these few words. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. You ready for this? Stated clear as day. Here is how you win. Says, all these, speaking of all those people, died in faith. All these died in faith. If you die and you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have won. You have overcome because your faith is in him and he is the one who has overcome for us. Dying with faith, though, isn't easy. And when we talk about being faithful to death, believing in Jesus, and then persevering in that faith all the way to the end, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do, a thing I want you to know that is impossible in our own strength. Impossible. When we talk about being faithful to death, that means that whatever comes our way, no matter how difficult, no matter how much hardship, no matter how much rejection, no matter how much tribulation, no matter how much pressure from the world to conform and to forsake Christ, all of it we must endure for the sake of Christ and hold on to him and cling to him and not depart and not give up and not grow weary. We can't do any of that on our own. If you want to die in faith, you need to be fully equipped by things that only Jesus Christ himself can provide you. But once again, the good news is it's free. It's absolutely free for those who believe in him. 
And so if you're here and you're thinking about following Jesus, I want you to know that this sermon is for you because we're, we're about to go through our the most amazing and also free gifts that Jesus gives us. And so if you're like, if you're, you're thinking, man, those are amazing things. I could have all that for free if I just come to Christ and believe in him? Yes. And so I hope this rocks your world as you listen to how great these things are. But, but maybe you're here and you, you just would say at this point in your life, you're not even thinking about following Christ. That you, when people talk about following Jesus, you think, whatever, I just, I'm not really that interested. And so I want you to know that this sermon is for you as well. My hope is that you understand that there's a war going on. There's a war waging against God and a war being waged against you and your soul. And also a war that you find yourself already a participant in and already on a side. And maybe your eyes haven't been opened to that yet. And so I hope that as we work through this, you will see clearly and consider whose side you are on. And that you will also see that there's a clear winner. And you don't want to be on the losing team. It's a fruitless endeavor to oppose Christ. And so I would never want you to be a part of that. And then lastly, for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning, if you desire your strength to be, your, your faith to be strengthened, I want you to know that this sermon's for you. If you're feeling weak in faith, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling like you're fighting a losing battle against the world, if you, if you feel like... Uh, you're succumbing to, to, to temptations. And you're not walking in faithfulness. You need to return regularly to the promises and the gifts that Christ gives us in this passage. And realize that since you have believed in him, these things are in your possession. And although you might forget that you have these things, you might forget that Christ won these things for you, you might forget that he gave these things to you, run back and remember, and hold on to them, and cherish them, and understand how rich they are, how life-changing, and how soul-building his promises are. And so the main idea of this passage is in John 16, verses 16 to 33, we see four gifts promised by Jesus and provided by his death and resurrection so that we will be fully equipped with everything we need to be strong and overcome the world. You have some notes in your bulletin you can follow along. There's some blanks there. Uh, as always, I like to make you work for it. But let's begin with the first gift promised by Jesus and provided by his death and resurrection that equips us to be strong in faith and overcome the world. That is, first of all, irrevocable joy in the Holy Spirit. I love that we've already been talking the songs and everything Pastor Kenny and, and Isaac mentioned we're, we have already been hitting on this joy but this is an incredible promise that Jesus Christ gives us. Irrevocable joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who is just minutes away from being betrayed and then sentenced to death and then arrested by, or arrested by soldiers, taken in by the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Jewish leadership, needs to prepare his disciples for one of their most difficult and darkest moments that they will ever face. And the way he goes about doing that is by telling them that what you're about to go through is going to be very difficult. You are going to have tremendous sorrow that comes to you. 
You are going to weep. You are going to lament because of what's about to happen. And what's about to happen? Jesus is about to be taken from them and put on a cross. And so they're not only going to lose their friend, but they're going to see their Lord and Messiah die before their very eyes. And so they're going to be devastated by this. They're going to be confused by this. They're going to be heartbroken. And Jesus tries to prepare them for this. And he tells them here, a little while and you will see me no longer. And then he says, and in a little while you will see me. And so what he's talking about here is that when I'm taken from you, which is just, is, is, is just about to happen after he finishes speaking with them, he's taken from them, he's crucified, he's put in a tomb, and they don't see him. But then shortly after that, Jesus says, in a little while, or we might say, on the third day, you will see me. And Jesus appeared to them on the third day, according to John chapter 20, and they saw him. And you know what happened in that moment? All their sorrow, all their weeping, all their lamenting was turned into joy. The angels told Mary when Mary went to the tomb and looked in there and didn't see Jesus' body there, she thought, man, someone's taking his body. We don't know where they've put him. And the angels tell, why are you weeping? And then Jesus speaks to her too and says, why are you weeping? And then she recognizes that it's Jesus. And then she goes and announces it to the rest of the disciples. And then when the place where the rest of the disciples are gathered, they're all in there, doors locked because they're trembling. They're terrified of the authorities. And Jesus comes, appears to them, risen from the dead. And he says, look and see, touch me. Look and see the, the holes in my hands. And it says that when they saw him, they were glad and rejoiced. Amazing. And this, is, this transformation from sorrow to gladness is just what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He said to them, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And so Jesus says, so also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Don't you love that? Just as the woman is experiencing the difficulties, the tribulation of labor, so when I am on the cross and in the tomb, you will feel that sort of anguish. But just as there's a radical transformation from sorrow and lament to joy, yes, there was deep sorrow, but there would be deeper and longer and forever lasting joy that comes when a child is born and when your Messiah rises from the grave. So this irrevocable joy, I would call this, uh, you know, irrevocable Holy Spirit resurrection joy. It's all, they're like all together and you can't separate them because the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus' appearances are by the power of the Holy Spirit and then on the first day when he appears to them when they're gathered together in the room on a Sunday, which, you know, that's why we meet on Sundays because Jesus appeared on a Sunday, resurrected to show that he was raised and so why do we come together on a Sunday so that we could testify and say that our Savior was raised on this day 2,000 years ago and would do it every week until he comes back. 
Because we got Holy Spirit irrevocable resurrection joy. And we got to praise him. We got to come together and worship him. What else would we do? That wasn't in the notes. Uh, (laughs) But think about this. This joy is irrevocable. And Jesus, in order to get this joy out of the people, you would have to undo the resurrection. You would have to undo the Holy Spirit's work. You would have to pull the Holy Spirit out of the disciples. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you and that he will never leave you. So you'd have to do like a bunch of impossible things to pull this joy away from me. In fact, if you wanted to rip this Holy Spirit, you know, irrevocable joy from me, you'd have to ascend into heaven. You'd have to lay hold of the Son of God's feet. You'd have to drag him down to the earth. You'd have to put nails in his hands again, and you'd have to seal him in a tomb. And then you'd have to try to keep him in that tomb, all of which... None of you and anyone else could do. There's no reversing that. So fear not, little child. Fear not. Be glad in the Lord. Jesus says here that they would have a joy that no one could take away from them. I love that. And I want you to know there's nothing that strengthens you. There's nothing that will embolden you to look upon threats and to even look death in the face and say, even if no one else goes with me, still I will follow. Nothing else will help you or equip you to do that than irrevocable Holy Spirit resurrection joy. Because you could say, take my life. Or rather, I lay it down like my Lord did. You can't even take it from me. But I know where I'm going, and I know how this ends. It's going to end the same way it ended for my Savior, in being raised from the grave. So be encouraged. We have to move quickly on to the next gift. Uh, Wonderful as that is, there's more. (laughs) And that is the second gift, is immediate access to the Father. The second gift that Jesus promises in our text, that he also provides through his death and resurrection, that fully equips us to overcome the world and to be strong in faith is full access to the Father. Look at what he says here in these verses. In verse 25, Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And then he says, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not, hear this, I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So the Son of God, who has eternally been and dwelt in the bosom of the Father, added a human nature to his divine person and became flesh, and he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose on the grave on the third day. He ascended into heaven. And now, because of all that, we can be 100% certain that all who believe in him have been given the right to become children of God. And being children of God, we have the child's prerogative. I can go to my father and ask him for stuff. 
I can go to him and ask him for help. I can go to him. And as a father, what do fathers do? Fathers provide. And what's so amazing here is Jesus gives us, through his work and by the power of the Spirit, immediate, intimate, VIP, child-only access to the Father. The Father who opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. The Father who provides for all creation through his Son and by his Spirit. The Father who is the one whom all good and perfect gifts flow from. You, if you believe in Jesus, get free access, immediate access to the Father. So you can pray to him. Not on your own, but if it was based on your own status, if it was based on your own works, there's no way that he would let you come to him and ask of him. He is holy. You are a sinner. You deserve wrath. But because Jesus came and died in your place and took the wrath of God that you deserved, you are made right with the Father. You are reconciled to the Father. And you are given immediate access to the Father. And you can run to him and you can pray to him. And it's one of the most amazing gifts that we could have. Ask and you shall receive, Jesus says, so that your joy may be full. Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Does that mean that everything I ask for, I receive? Jesus says, ask and you will receive. There's times when I'm off in my asking. I'm asking for things I shouldn't be asking for. We know that God is not pleased for us to ask for, ask for things that are not in accordance with his will. But when we go to him, and that's part of go, praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, that it, our, our, our prayers take a Jesus shape. And I'm asking for the things that Jesus has told me and commanded me and that God's word tells us to ask for. And as long as I'm, I'm in the scope of, of that shape, then, then have at it. But even there, maybe God in his wisdom does not give us what we ask for. And we submit to him. If he doesn't give us what we ask for, we don't say God has forsaken me. We say the Father must know better what I need. I must not need what I needed what I was asking for. He knows what we need before we say or ask for anything. But ask. And here's the other error that you can fall into is you just don't ask. You don't pray. Well, you know what you do instead? You grumble and you complain and you take your frustration out on other people. And you let your anxiety overflow. And then people are like, man, that person's a firecracker. Like, I, it's going to blow up on me uh, over the smallest thing. Like, I just asked if you wanted peanut butter or jelly, you know? Like, <laughs> take all of it to the Lord. Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Run to him. You have immediate access. And we can't, we, we, we can't forget how amazing that is. Jesus is saying... Look, this is how it works. This is such a great gift. I'm telling you that you don't need to ask me for anything. You can go to my Father. That's what I came to do, so that you can go to the Father, not without me, but in my name, but you can go straight to him. And so don't ask me to ask the Father. You ask him. That's amazing. 
So what are we doing asking angels to ask God or asking Mary to ask God or asking saints to ask God? Jesus says, you don't even have to ask me to ask the Father. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What an amazing immediate access we have to the Father. And so ask, and when he doesn't maybe give you everything, you trust his wisdom. And then when he does give you some of those things, you're like, thank you, Lord. I waited and I asked and I waited and Lord, you finally provided. And then that's what Jesus is talking about, that your joy may be full. Some of you guys don't have full joy because you don't realize you have full access and you don't make your thoughts and your requests and your prayers fully known to him. Go to him and ask. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I'm, I'm asking right now in prayer to my father for my dear friend Raul, for him and his family to have a car. They need a car. And so I've thrown that out to a bunch of different people. But this is what we do. Someone has a need. I, I put it, filter that need through the scope. Is that a sort of thing that God is pleased with? Does God love when fathers are able to provide for their families? Yes! He loves that! I mean, what has he been doing for all eternity? But be the father who's provided everything, right? And so I know that's what he wills. I go to him and I ask and we ask in faith and we wait and we pray and then we bring it to the church and we see if somebody doesn't just give a car or at least find one that we can buy. And if that happens, I'm going to have tremendous joy. I'm going to have tremendous joy. That's how it works. We're not asking for a Bugatti. <laughs> We're not asking for a Benz, right? We're asking that God provide transportation. Not for our own convenience or enjoyment or luxury, but to do what fathers do, provide. God loves that. And we're running to him and we're asking him for that. So if you hear of anything, talk to me about that so that my joy will be full. <laughs> but that's the Father's plan all along. And, and notice the reason for this, he says that it's because, he says, do not say that, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. But I've done so much wrong. But I've fallen short so many times. If you are in Christ, the Father loves you despite all your failures, despite all your shortcomings. The righteousness of Christ, as Kenny says, purified. It's made you clean. It's made you new. It's made you righteous. And so you have immediate access to a Father who loves you. Know what this means? This means that God is not bothered by your requests. He's not, he's not burdened by your requests. He's not upset that you're running to him and asking him for things. No, he loves that and he loves you. So run to him. Run to him. That's the second amazing gift that Jesus gives us. So are, are you a little bit encouraged yet? If you're here and you're not in Christ, you, I mean, you got to admit, that, like, that's pretty. Those are some awesome gifts so far, right? And there's still two more. So let's keep going. The third gift that Jesus promises in our text and, and provides by his death and resurrection so that we'll be fully equipped for everything, with everything we need to overcome the world, is this incomprehensible peace in the Son. 
incomprehensible peace in the Son. In verse 29, the disciples tell Jesus, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So in the world, what do we have? In Christ, what do we have? Peace. That is incredible. And the disciples here seem to be on the right track when they tell Jesus, we believe that you came from God. But Jesus responds and warns them that the storm clouds are gathering and their faith is going to be tried. And this time it won't be by a storm on, a sea, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, but this time it's going to be a whirlwind of injustice at the hands of Jewish leadership and Roman officials. Jesus tells his disciples that their fledgling faith will be tried And as a result of it, they will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave Jesus alone. But Jesus says, I'm never alone because the Father is with me. Has your faith ever been weak? Has your faith ever, you feel like, faltered, it was shaken? This is why it's so important that Jesus be our peace. This is why it's so important in the next point we'll get into that Jesus be our victory. That Jesus overcome for us in our place. Why? Because we have from him one who has overcome, one who just like he was on the boat with the disciples, can be asleep on a pillow in the midst of a storm. And, and let me just clarify that, peacefully asleep in the, under, in the middle of this boat during this storm while the disciples are looking at the waves and they're looking at the weather and they're looking at the skies and they're looking at the lightning and they're looking at the, hearing the thunder and, and they're, they're undone. All this chaos is surrounding him, and they're thinking they're going to lose their lives. And yet Jesus is able to stand up and say, oh, you of little faith. And then rebuke the winds and the waves and say, peace. Be still. And in an instant, all the chaos has ended. And perfect Peace, tranquility surrounds the seas and the boat. That's our Prince of Peace. That's our Prince of Peace. And the disciples find themselves in the midst of a whirlwind. 
And the only way, when all these people are, like as Psalm 2 says, that the, the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain, that the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, you see that the whole world is raging like a whirlwind of satanic power following the devil to destroy Christ and his followers and do everything they can to undermine their faith. And so when you encounter a storm like that, the only way for you to have any peace is in Jesus Christ, who is our peace. And the world may not get it. People might look at you, how, like, look at, look at everything falling apart. Look at, look at how, how much you've suffered. How are you still joyful and, and, and have this peace? I don't get it. It's because Jesus gives us incomprehensible peace. Or as Philippians chapter 4 says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We can have peace because we have our hope anchored to a rock. This boat ain't going anywhere. That anchor is not going to break. So we can have peace. We can trust. He's in control of everything. He's in control of the natural world. He's sovereign and Lord over demonic powers. He's sovereign and Lord over evil people. He's sovereign and Lord over everything that exists. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so if we find ourselves in a storm, we can have peace because we know that this storm will only last exactly as long as the Lord Jesus Christ wants me to endure it for. If it has come my way, it has come by his permission. And I won't lose a single hair from my head apart from him. He is our peace. I love Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very help, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Yeah, earth, go ahead and do Evil people, go ahead and do it all. <laughs> Once the sun speaks, it's done. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of, the hosts, is, of hosts is with us. God, the God of Jacob is our fortress. What an amazing gift to have peace in the sun. And that peace is a, a peace in the midst of tribulation when it's coming out from around us. And that peace is also a, a, a peace. You, you think that the, the world, you think that the world and all the things that they're doing that they can do to Christians and stuff is, is, is you know, turbulent and trying and, and difficult. What do you think the whirlwind of the wrath of God is like? And that is a storm which Christ also stilled for us by his death on the cross and rising from the grave. 
so that we would not be taken out by it. We who have sinned, but Christ endured it all for us in his place. And this leads to this fourth gift, this promise is that Jesus says, in this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have, friends, Jesus offering to any who will believe in him. He is offering them indisputable victory. Indisputable victory in our place. Everything that we needed to be saved and to have victory over sin and over Satan and over an evil world system, Christ accomplished it all on the cross. He accomplished it all on the cross. Jesus says, in this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have, in Christ, one who has indisputable victory, and he did it in our place. How did he do this? How did he overcome when we think about overcoming, we might think that, you know, he, he went in and, uh, by the way, today is Palm Sunday, the day that celebrates traditionally when Jesus Christ entered uh, into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. It was an entry that was, that, that was considered victorious, as Zechariah prophesied about it, victorious and triumphant, entering in, riding on a donkey, humble though as, as well. And he goes and he comes humble and yet triumphant, and the way that he is triumphant is through his death. And I think when a lot of us think of victory and triumph, we don't put that in the same sentence as death. But that is the place where victory is won. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, the apostle John's brought into uh, heaven to see a, a vision of the throne room of God and they, they, he looks around, and there's one seated on a throne with a scroll in his hand. And John begins to weep, weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then it says, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered or has overcome. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John looks and he sees what he describes as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. How is it that in the culmination of victory and celebrating that, we see one who overcame. How did he overcome? How did he conquer? It was through his being slain. Jesus' death does not look like victory. But he is, through his death, our Savior. He has provided our victory, provided our triumph by paying for all of our sins, by being the Lamb of God who was struck so that we could have our sins taken away from us. He won for us. We win in him. He did it in our place. We could not have done it on our own. None of us were sinless. All of us failed. All of us fell short. All of us turned away. We needed someone to do it perfectly and to do it perfectly for us and in our place. And Jesus did all that. Jesus did all that. And so he overcame. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's a bunch of promises that Jesus makes to those who overcome. 
In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus says, To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In Revelation chapter 2, the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Later in Revelation chapter 2, the one who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, to the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also have overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. How did he do that? How did he overcome? It was through his death, through his suffering, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and being seated at the right hand of the Father. So he did everything to fully equip us with everything that we need to be strong in faith, persevere to the end, and die in faith victoriously. In Revelation chapter 12, it speaks of these suffering saints, and it speaks of them as having overcome Satan. And we sang it earlier, but how did they do so? It says that, and they overcame him, speaking, the saints overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. There's that work of Christ. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That's what overcoming looks like. You maintain the testimony of God. You believe in Jesus to the end, and you don't stop speaking it. You don't stop sharing it. You keep telling people. You keep sharing what God has done in your life. You keep telling them to turn from their sin and to put your trust in Christ, and that you will be saved, and you'll be given an irrevocable joy in the Holy Spirit, immediate access to the Father. You'll get those things. There's nothing else you need to do. It's free. And so you can have it all if you come to believe in the Son. Christ's death is our victory. Christ's resurrection is our vindication. Christ's ascension is our glory. And so for us, we don't need to fear. What can man do to me? As Paul would say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than overcomers through him who loved us. So count me as sheep and slaughter me. Take away my life, yes, you may, but you will not ever separate me from the love of my Savior. You can destroy me. You can take what's most precious and dear to me. You can let the the cords of death entangle me, but one thing that no one else can do is pluck me from his hand. Do what you want. Kill my body. You can't lay a single finger on my soul. And by the way, my body too, I'm going to get that back as well in the resurrection. (laughs) Jesus overcame. And here's the thing. He overcame so we could too. And we need need this stuff. This is what he gives us so that we will overcome. And if you're here and you're now hearing about these things, you can have them too. Today is the day of salvation. All you have to do 
is turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And all these gifts and all these promises will be yours. And they'll be yours forever. So do that today, I would plead with you. Jesus says in John chapter 28 that an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs are going to hear his voice. And when all the dead hear the voice of Jesus, the Son of Man, they're going to break free and rise with physical bodies. And then they're going to be separated. And some of them are going to go to a resurrection of life. And the others are going to go to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus says in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So if you will come to him, you will not be cast out on that last day. But if you will not come to him, I have to say this with complete humility and concern for your soul. If you will not come to him, he will cast you out on the last day. That's why the most important thing, that's why true victory is dying in faith. Dying with faith. If you do not die in faith, just put this simply, if you do not die in faith, you will live in hell. If you will not die in faith, then you will live in hell for eternity. That's why it's so important. And the escape for this is the, 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 the way out, the salvation has been granted and it's a free gift. Jesus says in John 6, verse 40, This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Paul will put it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all you have to do, and then you will come into possession of all the riches of Christ and his salvation and the promises that we've worked through this morning. I'll close with 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says this. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Lord, bless your people. Fill them with faith. Fill them with joy, irrevocable, O oh Lord. God, help them, Lord, to be in awe of the access which you have given to them, Father. Help them to run to you. Help them to enjoy peace in you. And help them, Lord, to have their hearts strengthened by the fact, by the fact that you were and you were perfectly, totally, fully victorious. And you did it in our place. We thank you, Lord. Bless your people as we sing your praises now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.